0: Hello everyone and welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. We're glad you're able to join us today um, on this Tuesday afternoon. Um, uh, I'll bring in the panelists a minute, but um, I'll just let Scott introduce the topic. It's going to be a very interesting topic. And if you want to add to the program with comments or questions, please use the chat window or the Q&A window. If you're coming in on the Zoom app, and um, I think we're on uh, Scott's Facebook page, too. That's Jonathan. I think we did that. And I see a screen coming up. So that's Scott. But let me bring in the panelists first. Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Good to see you. How about you, Jonathan? Good to see you today.
1: Yeah, I'm doing well. It's good to see you guys.
0: Great, great. So, uh, Scott, what are we going into today? So you got First Peter
2: 3.15. Uh- Okay. Yes. Uh 1 Peter 3:15 uh is written to uh Christians in the first century who were facing persecution and being spoken against by the pagan world that was around them. And it talks to them about expect that you're going to be, you know, persecuted, but you know, behave and and be a to the world. And be ready always to give answer to every man that asks you a reason concerning the hope that lies within you. Uh, because they believe something most people didn't believe. They believed that Jesus was the, the Jewish Messiah, that he rose from the dead. And so if somebody says, Why do you believe that? They need to be ready to give an answer. Uh, and so we should be ready to give an answer. I don't, by the way, think that First Peter 3:15 means you have to be ready to answer everything somebody might ask. There are things we don't know the answers to. There are things that we might learn the answers to. And when somebody asks us, one of the best things sometimes to say is, I don't know. I haven't looked at that question before. Let's, let's you know, study it and look at it. But we don't want to just hide when when people ask questions and refuse to give information. So be ready to give an answer. Why Why do you have a hope? And so let's just start generally. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out a couple of questions for you, Drew and Jonathan. Uh of the different lines of evidence, um, what I'm gonna ask you, what is one reason that you believe there's a creator? What is one reason you take the Bible seriously as a message from God? What is one reason you believe Jesus is the Messiah? And those are the type of things that, you know, it talks about here in 1 Peter 3, you ought to be able to give a reason why you believe things. So let's start with what's one out of many reasons that uh, you believe is is a reason why you believe there is a creator.
0: Uh, I'm looking at the creation, I'm looking at the universe. and when you look at all the laws of of the complexity, the precision, everything is in the right place at the right time, especially on planet earth to sustain life that that happened by accident. Well, if there's laws that keep everything going around, who's the lawmaker? You can't have a law without a lawmaker. Okay. Jonathan.
1: Yeah, I'm not a biologist. Um, so there's probably a lot that I don't understand, but in my limited, uh, Capacity for biology and the things that I've looked at and like studying different um like animals and how they work and their anatomy and things like that. There's a, uh, like all of them are amazing. Just how the human body works together, how animals, you know, their bodies work together um, and just how they're perfectly kind of set up to respond to different things. But one in particular is the bombardier beetle. Um, bombardier beetle is really cool. <laughs> that, that's weird to think that like one of my favorite animals is a bug, <laughs> but it's a super cool uh, animal just to to research and see what it's capable of doing and like i don't know that that had to be made that couldn't have just
2: happened yeah and so he he has a chemical reaction inside him where he shoots this stuff out of his tail end at this hot degree to like you know uh hit a toad or something that's trying to eat him and uh that's a chemical reaction and so inside his body he's able to mix those chemicals and do them in the right way to get that little explosion which is why it's called beetle.
0: I did, a, I, I did a, a lesson on that once, and I found a video of Richard uh, Dawkins, who, who tries to explain away how that evolved over time, Yeah. and when he got all done, I'm saying, uh, he just made a very good argument that it didn't evolve over time, in my opinion, as I'm look, looking through it, but it, it's an amazing creature.
2: All right, so let's jump ahead now to the third question, instead of the second one. Uh, what's What's one of the main reasons you believe that Jesus is the Messiah?
1: The biggest one for me um, that I've done the most research in is just looking at Saul of Tarsus and his his life and conversion, um, who's who we call Paul. I don't see how you can look at the life of Paul and come away and logically think that Jesus didn't exist and wasn't the Messiah.
2: Right, right. Yeah,
0: that's one of mine as well. Uh, uh, we've heard the, the, the talk about Jesus. Some people say, oh, it was a, he's a legend. Someone made him up. Well, we're going to talk maybe a little bit more about that later. But Paul is a recognized his, uh, person in history. In fact, if you go to the uh, Encyclopedia, Britannica, you'll find at a seven. I think it's seven of his letters that uh, non-believing scholars, non-believers, accept that he wrote it. This man Paul wrote those letters. So if you go look at just those seven, never mind all twelve or thirteen of them. How many wrote? you could read and get some insight on Paul and what he thinks, what he believes. And when you start really digging in, you start realizing it. Jesus Christ is real and, and his resurrection was real. And Paul talks about the, the uh, witnesses uh, that saw him. So that there's a lot of evidence. Just, it just takes time to go in and read it, start looking for the evidence, so it's there.
2: All right, yeah, I, and I think Saul of Tarsus and his conversion, I think that is one of the most significant things to me too. Uh, somebody else might say, the empty tomb, you know, the, the res- other resurrection appearances to Peter and Mary and different things, uh, the accounts of, of the Gospels, etc. I,
0: I didn't think we we're going I didn't realize it, but there is a Jewish historian, and I can't pronounce his name, it's a strange name, and I, I have a quote of his, and I, I can send it to you as, in, a, in another time, I'll send you the link, all, but he actually makes, I'll paraphrase this, makes a statement that. He he said he was glad there was no more than 500 and some odd witnesses that saw him on that Pentecost Sunday. And the reason he said he was glad is because if the whole community, if the whole town accepted Jesus as, as, as Christ, the Messiah, then there'd be no more room left for Judaism. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly my... That, so, but, but I don't think he's accepted Jesus as the Messiah, but in his historical research, he he, he finds it amazing. He, he's very happy, I should say, that only 500 witnesses saw him. Now, he, he tries okay. to explain it away, and others try to explain it away, not him so much, but others that, well, they were hallucinating. But that's,
2: yeah, yeah, those are, you can't yeah. have those kind of hallucinations. And just for the record, 500, the 500 didn't see him on a Pentecost Sunday. Uh, we don't oh, know no, what when they, it was, they saw him. Uh, but but yeah.
0: That's what he said. If if all of those Jews on that Pentecost Sunday saw him, as and he wasn't referring to as the um, 500 saw him that day.
2: All right, all right, got you. all right, gotcha. Um, right. So, uh, but when we bring up the gospel accounts, the um, the empty tomb, et cetera, et cetera, or the miracles, what a lot of people are going to say, and this is what they'll be taught if they go to university, et cetera, and there's reference made to this, or if they go watch a YouTube video or read on Wikipedia or whatever, they will likely come away with the attitude and say, well, the gospels are all later. They're legendary things written. None of the people that wrote the gospels ever saw or knew Jesus. They're from later generations and it's, it's legend. Uh, and so most historians, of course, would say Jesus existed, but they don't necessarily accept the Gospels. And then a few people say, no, Jesus didn't even exist. And the Gospels are just nothing but legend. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today. So uh, you're talking to a friend of yours and he's watched some YouTube videos or he took a class about, uh, uh, you know religion and civilization or whatever. And he says, the Gospels are just legends from later times. And I see I've got, I need to correct a typo there. Uh, none of them were written by eyewitnesses. The early texts say almost nothing about the stories found in the later gospels. And this last one is one of the things that we're going to really look at in detail here. And it ties into what you mentioned earlier, Drew. So if you're talking to an unbelieving professor, um, if you're talking to a, atheist who is familiar with the biblical text somewhat, um, they're both going to have what attitude, if they're agnostic, or unbeliever, etc., they're both going to have what attitude about the books, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's written later, you know, um, and uh, different generation such. So. And then, they say the early texts say almost nothing about the stories found in the later gospels. What are the early texts? Well, First Thessalonians is one of the earliest texts and the atheist and the professor agree that First Thessalonians is written, you know, somewhere around 50 AD. Jesus died around 30 AD. So that's not very, you know, that's only like 20 years later. Uh, that's like if somebody writes a record now of what happened in the year 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, who got elected in the year 2000? That would have been was that George W. Bush's election?
0: Yep. Yeah, I believe it was. Yep.
2: Right. Uh, mm-hmm. So if somebody today was writing about George W. Bush being elected, that's not ancient history, you know. <laughs> um, in fact, oh, was that when the Gore uh, Bush election happened, and it was yeah. contested for like five five or six weeks.
0: The Chads. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. That's that's not ancient history, unless you're 20 years old and you don't remember. All right. So he's talking here about these early letters, like by Paul, Corinthians and stuff. So we're going to put this together and examine this, especially this last part. The earlier letters of Paul, the seven authentic ones, because atheists and unbelievers only accept seven as authentic, but they do accept those seven as authentic. Even an atheist that believes Jesus never existed believes Paul wrote these seven letters. Don't tell the stories found in the gospels. And you know, first let's catch the weight of that. So um, the seven that they accept, the unbelievers, they accept Romans, they accept first and second Corinthians, they accept for uh First Thessalonians, uh, they accept Philemon, they accept Philippians. In reading those books, have you guys ever read that Jesus fed the five thousand? Nope. Do any of those books say that Jesus was born and laid in a manger? Nope. Did any of those books tell Jesus' Sermon on the Mount? Nope. <laughs> Any of them give the parable of the sower or the parable of the wedding feast. No.
1: Nope. Or any of the parables. Nope. <laughs> uh,
2: it, it, the healing of the blind man, the raising of Lazarus. no. Nope. So when you stop and think about it, it's partly true that those seven letters don't tell the stories found in the Gospels. So can we see the argument here? These things later, that's just all just made up. Because these seven letters don't tell those stories, well, they don't tell those stories. But we're going to look at this a little closer. Any comments before we go ahead? Right. I wouldn't say that, that those. This those,
0: is. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Scott. Those those letters are not about the life of Jesus.
2: Exactly. Exactly. When Paul went to places, he told them about Jesus. And, and he told him about his encounter with Jesus. When he writes back to them, to the Corinthians, about their problems, that they're tolerated, that they've got division, one through four, that they're tolerating sexual sin, chapter five, that they shouldn't be suing each other, chapter six, that you don't be going to the idol feast, chapter eight through 10, he's not retelling the story of Jesus. When he writes to the Galatians, he's not retelling. The story of Jesus. He does briefly refer to the story he had already told them about his encounter with Jesus, but that's not the purpose of those letters. You're exactly right.
0: What would, would, would it be assumed would it be wrong to assume that the people he's writing to already knew the stories of Jesus?
2: I, I, we can assume that. Now, not not that they would have known every one of those stories, but that they would have heard about Jesus. Right. So we're, okay. We're going to prove that from the letters. So, although the letters don't just retell the story of Jesus, we're about to find out there's a that there's a lot more reference to the events of the Gospels in those letters than most people realize. All right, so here we go. Uh, first, we're going to listen to, this is Richard Carrier. He is, he's one of the few historians who doesn't believe Jesus existed. He uh, believes Jesus didn't exist, and he he, he argues for that. Um, He says, did Jesus even exist? Richard Carrier uh, PhD, and so this is from his YouTube video, and he's talking about the epistles. Uh, The epistles, now these are the authentic epistles, only 70 epistles of Paul are deemed authentic, and here's the ones he's talking about, Romans, Galatians, Philippians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, 1st Thessalonians, Philemon, and this is from Wikipedia, same list. These are the undisputed letters of Paul recognized not just by believers who also recognize other letters, but this is what the atheists, historics, agnostics, critics agree, and what Richard Carrier agrees that Paul actually wrote those.
0: Um, I think the point you're trying to make is so they really don't argue with what he says there, they accept what Paul says there.
2: No, no, Richard Carrier believes Paul's wrong.
0: Oh, interesting.
2: Paul says that I'm preaching Christ and him crucified. Uh, and, um, you know, he says he's a son. Uh, Richard Carrier doesn't even believe in God.
0: Wait, oh. uh, I, I, I'm sorry, the point I was making, he, the letters, he believes Paul wrote what he did right. Yes. In yes. Okay.
2: yes. Uh, kind of like if... Uh, Oh, if 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 a person on the opposite view of like I don't believe Charles Darwin is right, but I believe Charles Darwin wrote Origin of Species and the Descent of Man. Right, right. Uh, I think he was right about some things about um, interest specific uh, variation and stuff. But now, now I'm off track. Sorry. Um, but the point is, they all believe that Paul wrote those books. Got it. They think Paul's kind of that that Paul believes in fantasies, and they don't believe what Paul says is true, but they truly believe Paul truly wrote that. He wrote those seven letters, right? So this is an atheist, doesn't believe Jesus even exists, doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe Jesus exists, does believe that those seven letters were written by the Apostle Paul. So the seven authentic epistles were written in the 50s AD, about 20 years after the founding of the religion. So, see, he's telling when they wrote. It's about 20 years later. And then he says, in contrast to that, the Gospels, meanwhile, come decades later. And I would contend, um, he says, the epistles only speak of a preexistent celestial being and a revealed gospel. According to Richard Carrier, if you look at his letters, it wasn't even a man on earth. It was just this spiritual being. uh, and not even a a human being on earth. Now he says the gospels meanwhile comes decades later and I would contend that they are deliberately fictional. These are not biographies. These are not recollections. They are not collections of memories and the epistles don't mention hardly any of the things that Mark talks about. The miracles, you know, the parables, uh, etc the defeating of the five thousand etc and so this is what we're going to focus on here uh the critic says the gospels are not early but these seven letters of Paul are and did you see there where he referred to them as early I think that was in there. Um
0: yeah you did say that I think in the 50s
2: yeah yeah that 20 years after the founding of the religion um and I think, yeah, these epistles uh, don't mention hardly any of the things uh, that Mark talks about. So the critics accept the Gospels, say the Gospels are not early, early but they accept that these letters of Paul are written. They're like in, in the 50s. Uh, so you've got, in, well, some by Philemon, you're getting into the 60s, actually, but most of those are in the 50s. Okay, so here's an exercise. Using only the early and critic-accepted letters of Paul, can we rebuild the basic gospel? Now, first, let's talk about the logic of why I do this. Um, If the three of us are having a Bible study, are we going to limit ourselves to the seven letters of Paul? No. No. Do we want to read what John wrote?
0: Yeah.
2: One of the 12 apostles? Yeah. Do we want to read a sermon by Peter in the book of Acts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why would we restrict ourselves to these seven letters in a conversation with an atheist?
0: I I can't think of a
2: reason. Common ground.
0: Oh, oh, you're talking about for us right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, I thought you meant like a Friday night Bible study or something like that. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, If if we're talking to an atheist, because if I'm talking, for instance, if I'm talking with a Muslim, and the Muslim only wants to read from the Quran, and I only want to read from the Gospels or the Epistles of Paul, he doesn't accept the Epistles of Paul, and I don't accept the Quran. So how far is that conversation going to go? Dead end. Very long. Yeah. yeah. But does the Muslim believe that uh, Abraham was a man of God? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, Does he believe that Moses prophesied? Yes, yes, he does. And in fact, Moses and Abraham are talked about in the Quran. Does he believe that Moses gave a prophecy that God would send a prophet like Moses? Yes, they believe that. But they believe that that prophet is Muhammad and we believe it's Jesus. So we could start at, let's look at this and then move forward. So when Paul is in a synagogue, where does he start? Where they are. And he starts reasoning from the Hebrew scriptures. When he's at Mars Hill, does he start from the Hebrew scriptures?
0: No, because he's talking with uh, philosophers, Greek philosophers. Yeah.
2: so he backs up to their unknown God, the God that created everything. So he backs up to that. He's going to preach Jesus both times, but you start where your audience is at. Where did Philip start with the Ethiopian eunuch?
0: And
2: Isaiah. Because? That's where he was reading. Yeah, that's where he's at. So you start where somebody's at. So if I insist on talking to this atheist, no, we're going to read the gospel of John first. He says, yeah, but I don't believe that. I think it's a late legend. I think that's all. So instead, let's start with what he agrees on, that these are written by Paul. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. All
2: right. So let's do our exercise. Can we rebuild the basic gospel out of Romans, Galatians, uh, First and Second Corinthians, Thessalonians, et cetera? So I'm going to put here some basic facts of the gospel. And by the way, audience, we'd love to hear from y'all. If you've got some comments on this, questions on this, please uh, come in. And Drew, you want to tell people how they can do that?
0: Yeah, if you're coming in on the Zoom app, just use the chat box or the Q&A box button and just type away your questions in the comments there. And if you're coming in on a Facebook page, well, you know how to do that in the comment box there. And we're monitoring both uh, both the channels.
2: All right, so I'm gonna put up some facts here and then ask you guys if in, the, in our audience, is this a fair assessment of what we find in the gospels? That family-wise, Jesus was born of Mary, a virgin. He's a descendant of King David, the father figure, not biological, but the father figure in the family is Joseph. The brothers are James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, and he's got sisters. Uh, He was at Bethlehem, and then later he is at Nazareth. And then he's introduced to the world by John the Baptist, and then in his ministry, we see him sometimes in Galatia, I mean, excuse me, not Galatia, Galilee, uh, sometimes in Samaria, and in, in Judea, especially in the Gospel of John, we see the times he's in Judea. And then a lot of the Gospels are extensive accounts of him teaching sermons and parables. And a lot of the Gospels are his miracles, extensive uh, accounts of signs and healings, etc. cetera that he selects from his disciples, 12 apostles, Peter, James, John, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then he goes to Jerusalem. He enters Jerusalem. He is opposed by the Jewish leaders. He is betrayed by Judas. He establishes the Lord's Supper. He's arrested and tried before the high priest. He's brought to Pilate and Herod. He's crucified, buried, rose on the first day, appeared to the disciples, and ascended to the Father is that a pretty fair description of what's in the gospels
0: yep and it's exclusive to the gospels
2: and the lion's share of it is the teaching and the miracles and then the last week or so um so
0: you didn't pick up on what i said i said it was exclusive to the gospel
2: Explained. i I missed it
0: this this information is only found in the gospels you don't find it anywhere else I'm playing I'm playing advocate
2: here. Oh, okay. I see, I see.
0: <laughs> Went over your head. All
2: right. All right. Now I see what you're doing. I was
0: trying to set you up,
2: Scott. Oh, yeah, and I missed it. I need, I need T ball. <laughs> there it's it Scott. All right. So uh let's start off with uh his family. Uh can you guys think of anywhere in Romans, Galatians, Thessalonians, etc.? You can find any information about Jesus's family.
1: And I don't think it mentions in uh, first Corinthians 15 um, that it's his brother, but it does mention that Jesus was seen by James in first Corinthians 15. And then also in Galatians four, it mentions that Jesus was born of a woman. I don't think it, I don't think it mentions Mary, but.
2: Yeah. And so Galatians one, four, he's born of a woman. Of course, Drew, what kind of uh Homo sapien were you born from? Man or a woman? <laughs> Jonathan? You yeah.
0: said woman, and we're all I born of a woman.
2: So everybody's born of a woman. Why would Galatians say he was born of a woman? You know, if I if I introduced you to a friend of mine, I'd say, hey, this is this is uh Jonathan Sadler, by the way, he was born from a woman. <laughs> <laughs> <That's Yeah. not laughs> odd.
0: And laugh like I'm doing
2: that. Drew, were you born from the union of a man and a woman? Yeah. Jonathan Mm -hmm. Sadler? Yep. Audience? Mm -hmm. Yes. And Galatians says Jesus was born of woman. So, oh, it leaves out a, a, another part of the story there, doesn't it? I think that may be a, an allusion to the virgin birth, Jonathan.
1: Yeah. And just the, for the reference for our audience, if you guys want to look and see that, that's Galatians chapter four and verse four, where it says yeah. that.
2: Thank you very much. All right. Now let's take a look at uh, Jonathan mentions James, that Paul does mention James, but in First in Corinthians, it doesn't say James is the Lord's brother. So maybe it's a different James. Can you, from those seven letters, think of where Paul mentions that James is the Lord's Mm. prophet? Audience.
0: Where do you think it is there, Scott?
2: (laughs) I want to see if somebody in the audience can get it. Where do, in fact, where does Paul? Refer to Jesus's brothers, and where does he name one of his brothers in those seven letters? He doesn't. <laughs> Come on, Bible Quest audience.
0: I think you got us soul
2: Uncle stuff. no. Yeah, I'm stumped. I don't remember. All right, Does it, can anybody see the chat window to see if anybody's got it? Yeah, no one has it. Is anybody on Facebook got it? Nope. All, all right, all oh, 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 we
0: got some. We got some coming in. All Galatians, right. Galatians one nineteen. We got Eva, it. Eva brought that in.
2: Very mm-hmm. good. Thank you, Eva. All right, so uh, mm-hmm. yeah, in Galatians one, he said, "I didn't see any of the other except." james the lord's brother bonus points all right mm. where else does paul talk about jesus's brothers mm. Mm. all right i'm gonna give you a hint no. don't i have a right to lead about a wife like oh that? Peters. Peters. Yeah, like
1: Peter. 1 yeah, Corinthians 7. <laughs> or 1 Corinthians
0: first
2: 9. Corinthians. <laughs> <Not like Peter. laughs> so Let's start getting up here on the screen. Just restricting ourselves to the early accounts. Look what we have. We've got Romans 1.3 refers to Jesus as the son of David. Okay? He was born the son of David. So he's in the Davidic line. We've got reference to the brothers of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 9. Don't I have a right to have a wife like Peter does and like Jesus's brothers do? And Galatians 119, I didn't see anybody else except uh, of the apostles, except James, the Lord's brother. And Galatians 4.4 doesn't come out and say, he was born only of a woman, but by saying he was born of a woman seems maybe a little unnecessary if it was just like everybody else, but everybody else was born as a result of a man and a woman. In Jesus, the gospel tells, born of woman, not with, with a man involved. Um, all right, let's proceed. Um, how about the extensive teaching? There is not much of Jesus's verbal teaching in these seven letters, but can you think of any?
1: 1 Corinthians 11, on the yeah. same night he was betrayed, he established the Lord's Supper.
2: Yeah, and it gives the words. He said, mm-hmm. do this in w- remembrance of me. So 1 uh, Corinthians 11, 23, he, he quotes what Jesus said. Also, in 1 Corinthians 7, 10, he talks about the command from the Lord that the wife not depart from the husband, it's it, the husband not depart, etc. those type of things. All right, so there's some references to Jesus' teaching, although not a lot of that. All right, how about the 12 apostles? I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> Does Paul ever refer to the 12 apostles?
1: Yes. Where? In 1 Corinthians 15, when he's yeah. talking about the witnesses that saw him Read after his box. resurrection.
2: Read that for us. 1
1: Corinthians 15, Um I'll just start in verse three. I delivered to you as of first importance that what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared to me.
2: Okay, so there we've got he appeared to the 12. All right, so First Corinthians 15. Does he ever name some of those apostles? Well, he does in First appeared Corinthians here, 15. Here, Cephas, which is the Aramaic name for rock, and Peter, Petrus, is the Greek name for rock, uh, also called Simon. Where else does he name some of the apostles? You remember Galatians chapter 2? He said, I went to Jerusalem, and he talked about um, Peter, and John, and he mentioned, mention, yeah, uh, verse 9. He talked about uh, James and Cephas and John. Now, this is probably James the Lord's brother, not James the son of Zebedee, but we've got Peter and John mentioned there. Uh, and Peter is again mentioned uh, in First Corinthians 1. All right, so events surrounding his death and resurrection. Um, Is there any evidence in those seven letters that Jesus died in Jerusalem?
0: In Jerusalem specifically?
2: Or at least that area. So remember, Richard Carrier claims that in the seven letters, Jesus isn't even a man on earth. He's like a spiritual entity or something. Hmm. And he says something along the line that he was amazed he couldn't find any evidence contrary to that, and I'm kind of amazed that he thinks that can't be found because we're about to see it.
0: All right, show it. Where 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 is that?
2: All right, look at First Thessalonians chapter two, and one of you read verse fourteen or fifteen.
1: First Thessalonians two fourteen, for you brothers became Im- imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things that your own countrymen from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and oppress all mankind.
2: Okay, so these are uh, Gentiles up here in Macedonia. Uh, predominantly Gentiles, who are being persecuted for their belief in Jesus, and he says the same thing that's happening to you, that's also what happened to the churches that are where? In Judea. Judea. Where was Jesus crucified? In Judea. Judea. What's the capital city in Judea? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And then it refers to that not only did the brethren in Judea suffer persecution, but Jesus himself did, and, uh, and, and who and it was those people that killed Jesus. So there was there in Judea the Jews had had Jesus killed. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, how about? But oh, I didn't mean to get that that quick. The betrayal by Judas. Does Paul ever refer to the betrayal?
0: I can answer not- that one first too,
2: Yeah,
1: not not exactly yeah. Judas mentioned, but he does mention the betrayal on the, the night he was of betrayed yeah. yeah, in 1 Corinthians 11.
2: 1 Corinthians 11. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 said, I received you that which I received, that on the night he was betrayed, betrayed. he took the bread and he said this and he took the cup and he said this. Okay, so this is really significant here. The way he's speaking to the Corinthians. Let, let's turn. Why don't you read that passage for us? Start with because they're abusing the Lord's Supper. So let's just get the whole context there to see what's going on. Start with. Please, we, uh, 20, starting in
0: twenty-three. For our no,
2: seventeen, seven, please, to get the context.
0: Oh, seventeen. Sorry, let me back it up. Okay, but in, in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Uh, For in eating, one goes ahead with his own meal, one goes hungry, another gets drunk. What, don't you have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So the, the problem is that they're abusing or they're not even taking, doing the Lord's Supper properly, uh, yeah. taking well, care of
2: themselves. That's why Paul discusses the Lord's Supper here.
0: Right.
2: For instance, in Romans or it's in Galatians, does Paul discuss the Lord's Supper? No, because that's not what they had a problem with. In Thessalonians, does he discuss the Lord's Supper? No, because that's not something they had a problem with did the people in those churches take the lord's supper sure they would have been taught that paul would have taught that when he went through there but he doesn't have to reteach that uh the only reason it comes up in first corinthians is because they're abusing it so now he's got to go re- back and remind them of what he taught them before so keep reading
0: For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He also took the cup.
2: Go ahead. So he says, I'm reminding you of what I told you before, right? Mm -hmm. This is not the first time they're hearing about the Lord's Supper he's reminding them of what they were supposed to be doing. Instead of filling their belly, they're supposed to be doing it in memory of Christ. So I think it's safe to say he t- he taught all of the Christians throughout yeah. the area. Yeah, when, when he when he stops at Troas, they're doing what? They're taking the Lord's Supper. Yeah. So these things would have been taught the first time. It's only mentioned here because they're abusing it. And in his reference, he said, remember the night Jesus was betrayed, that that's that shows a communal knowledge. That's he's not giving new information. By the way, you guys probably never knew this before, <laughs> but one night Jesus got betrayed. Really? By who? What happened? That's he doesn't have to go into that because he's just setting the stage for reminding them about the Lord's Supper. It's just, how many t- do, in our discussion might we say? Yeah, like with the Good Samaritan. We don't have to go back and tell the whole story because as soon as we say those two words, what do all three of us remember?
0: The Good Samaritan that helped the guy that he...
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Then establishing the Lord's Supper. Well, Paul goes into detail about that here, all right? Uh, arrested and tried before the high priest. We don't have the details, but remember that passage in Thessalonians where it said, "You're when you get persecuted, you're imitating the faith of the churches back in Judea because they were persecuted and by the Jews there who also had Christ killed so we, you know that refers to this event um crucified first Corinthians this 22 Paul Paul said I pre I resolved to preach
1: Christ in him crucified
2: Christ in him crucified um chapter 188 118 we preach Christ crucified Philippians 2, 8. Somebody read that for us and somebody read Galatians 3, 13.
1: I got Philippians. Philippians 2, verse 8 says, being found in human forms, talking about Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross.
2: So, so how on earth does Richard Carrier say that in these seven letters, there's it doesn't talk about a human Christ on earth? Hmm. He took human form and it was crucified. Galatians 3.13, you know, uh, what does it say there?
0: Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, "Curses is over new, hanged on a tree.
2: All right. Now, the burial. The Gospels, we have a lot of details about the burial. Who took down the body and buried it? Joseph. Joseph of Arimathea, who helped him? Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Who goes to the tomb and finds it empty? Mary
1: and some of the other women.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does Paul... Now, Paul doesn't mention Joseph of Arimathea, but does he refer to the burial?
1: Yes. 1 Corinthians 15.
2: Yeah. I preach the gospel to you that Jesus died for our sins, according to Scripture, was buried, (laughs) and three days later... um see who it is, Lucas, and three days later, uh, rose from the dead. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've got the burial. How about the resurrection?
1: Yep. yep.
2: Yeah, yeah, Paul kind of talks about the resurrection. Romans 1, 3, declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection. First mm-hmm. uh, Corinthians chapter 15, about the resurrection, and it doesn't say what day he rose on in Paul, but in 1 Corinthians 16, what day did he tell the uh, Christians to lay by and store their means? On the first day of the week. Yeah. And if we look at the book of Acts, what day did Paul preach to the church in Troas when they came together? Acts 20 verse
1: 7. Yeah.
2: So the church obviously made a big deal about the first day of the week. Does that fit in pretty well with that Jesus rose on? Yeah. First day of the week. Yeah. Yeah. So let's hurry up here and finish up. Appeared to the disciples? Well, yeah, First Corinthians 15. Ascends to the Father. Philippians 2.9.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: One of you read Philippians 2.9 and one read Romans 8.34. I'll
1: get Philippians. Philippians 2 verse 9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to
2: the glory of the Father. Yeah, and Romans 8.34. Uh,
0: 8.34, I'll start in 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding
2: for us. So if the Gospels are just made up late legends and the writings of Paul, these seven writings of Paul are early, it's pretty amazing how much of the core of the Gospels is in those seven letters, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm. as Drew mentioned earlier, and as we've seen, he's not retelling all, those, all this information when he's writing back to them. That's not the purpose of the epistles. Philippians is a thank you letter after they sent him money in a letter to encourage him. Uh, Galatians is about don't listen to Judaizers. He, they're not rehashing everything real quickly now let's just hit this but what about the miracles the miracles look at romans 15:19 and second corinthians 12:12 12, 12.
1: yeah romans 15 verse 19 says well, um, in verse 18, he says, "I would not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by power of signs and wonders, by power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ."
2: Okay, so he's a minister of Christ doing signs and miracles. What does it say in 2 Corinthians 12:12? Signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost
0: patience with signs and wonders and mighty works.
2: Does that make sense if he had taught a Jesus Christ that did signs and miracles?
0: Absolutely.
2: Yeah, when he's saying, hey, look, the sign that I am one of Jesus's commissioned ones is that I'm doing the signs and wonders. That's obviously reflective of a Christ that did signs and wonders.
0: Yeah, because they wouldn't sit there and say, oh, really? Did Christ do any signs and wonders? They would have known it.
2: They knew that. that, So you've got this common knowledge he doesn't have to go and repeat. And then if we add Paul's speeches from Acts, now Richard Carrier wouldn't accept uh, what I would accept about Acts, and maybe in a different time, will show powerful evidence of why uh, we need to pay attention to Luke Acts. But if you add from there guess what you've got? You've got Paul referring to Jesus in Nazareth, you've got Paul referring to John the Baptist, you've got Paul giving another quote of something Jesus said, and you've got Paul referring to Pilate. So the earlier accounts uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is written about 55, and he's reminding them of what he told them back in 50, only 20 years earlier, that You can find the timing of that in the Galileo inscription. See 3minutebiblestudy.com on archaeology. And you can even go back earlier because from Galatians 1, you see that Paul was preaching the gospel shortly after his conversion. And so it's not just from 50. He'd been doing this back in the 30s. So when they say, well, here's the early records, and they don't say what these other things say, they don't have all the details, but the core of it's there. All right, we're out of time. Final comments, guys.
1: Yeah, thanks for going through that, Scott. Um, and thank you to our audience for uh, coming in. That, that's really interesting. I think really important. We started off in First Peter uh, chapter 3 of being ready to give an answer, give a reason for the hope that's in us and uh, being equipped to do that on that topic or any other topic is uh, really good. So if our audience has any other questions uh, about that or any other uh, Bible topics you'd like us to discuss, you can submit those to us at biblequest.tv and we'll be happy to do that. But that's all we have for this week. So we'll see you all next Tuesday, Lord willing.